Well, in Israel, in the summer months, the shepherd would lead the sheep up to the mountaintops, you know, up to the, uh, the higher places. But often to get there, there were goats, there were, sorry, mountain lions, and there were ravines and different dangerous things. So it was quite dangerous going up higher in, up the mountain or up to the hilltops. And this can speak to you and I. When God's taking us higher and further up in our relationship, our walk with Him, sometimes it's going to mean in order to get there, we've got to pass through some valleys. In fact, it will inevitably mean we've got to go through some valleys. Psalm 23, 4 and 6 said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now here's a really common question people ask. Why do bad things happen to you or to good people? Because you're all good. Why do bad things happen to you? What about the opposite? Why do good things happen to bad people? So you get up and you're heading off to church and you drive past your neighbor, they're getting the boat onto the back of the car or they're dressed and off to the surfboard on the top and they're heading off to the beach or I drive into the city church and if we go past Chamberlain Golf Course, they're out playing golf and, and there you are, you're getting up, you're loving God, you're serving Him and you're going through a deep, deep valley and they don't seem to have a care in the world. You're saying, God, what's the deal here? <laughs> This does not seem fair. This does not seem right. Well, turn with me to Psalm 73 because David, the man after God's own heart, he had the same issue. He had the same problem in a deep way. And so he says in verse 2 of Psalm 73, he said, uh, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For well, there is no pangs in the death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. They are not plagued like other men. Verse 16. When I thought about how to understand this, it was too painful for me. So David said, look, oh God, I can't handle this. Look at what I'm going through. The pain is intense. And these people out there, they just seem to have a ball. Verse 17. Until I went into the house of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Friends, the issue is not what life is like just on earth. What is the end of the matter? Tell you something, no one gets away with anything. <laughs> the judge of all the earth will do right. Sometimes you just don't see it while you're on the earth. But one day it will become very, very clear. Job went through the valley of the shadow of death. So I want you to come with me to Job in chapter 1. And we're gonna, you're going to see what's happening in heaven while you're struggling through a trial on the earth. So Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 12. This is really interesting. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant? Put your name in it. John, Bruce, Peter, Anne. 
Have you considered my servant then that there is none like him or her on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? Have you considered my servant? He could be talking about any of you here today that love God, they serve God. But Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job, do you fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So he's saying, hey, God, come on, give me a break. Of course they're going to bless you and love you and sue you. You bless them, you do them good, you protect them. But, Satan says, now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power and he do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You understand the story? Satan's basically saying, God, of course anyone will serve you as long as you bless them. But hey, you start dealing with them and withdraw the blessing and let them go through some deep valleys. Hey, look, God, I'm telling you, they will not continue to serve you. So I want to ask this question. What does God want in your trial? Sorry, what does the devil want in your trial? What is he after in your trial? Well, let me say, he's not really after your money. You've got plenty of that. He's not after your family or your kids. He's got plenty of children of his own. He's not after your health. What can he do with your health? Look, he's not after any of those things. You may think he is, but he's actually not. What Satan is after is your faith and your trust in God. You see, what he really wants is for you to stop loving God, stop trusting Him, and stop serving Him when you go through a valley. He wants to ruin your walk with God, and also He's after the character of God. You see, He wants you to think, now God is not good. Now God does not love me. I can't trust God. God's not fair. If you end up doing those things, then Satan has won his battle, because that's what he's after. So let's ask another question. What does God want? He actually wants the same things that Satan wants. He wants you to grow in your trust in God. He wants you to grow in your love for God. He wants you to be able to say in the midst of the darkest valley, God is good all the time. God is faithful. God loves me. He cares for me. I can trust him all the days of my life. That's what he wants you to say in the darkest valley of your life. He is faithful and he is true. You might say, yeah, but you don't know my trial. Okay, well, let's put it to the test. Compare yourself with Job. He was tested in seven ways. Thank you. Let's go through them one by one. Economically, he lost everything he possessed. You know, sometimes we lose a little bit. We think, oh, God, what's going on? Hey, he lost the whole deal. Secondly, he suffered domestically. He lost his children, and his wife turned against them. Thirdly, he suffered physically. His body was stricken with great pain. He had these boils, and he had to scrape the boils off his body. That was so bad. The pain was intense. Who reckons Job suffered a bit? Yeah, he sure did, eh? Probably more than anyone here. Then mentally, he was very confused. Like, he could not understand what on earth was going on. God, what's happening to me? Why? Look, I've just been loving you, serving you. I'm going through this dark valley. It's, a, it's terrible. God, I don't understand. He's mentally challenged very deeply. It doesn't stop there. He's then tested emotionally. He becomes very depressed, hopeless. 
can't see a future. It's terrible. Then finally, he's tested spiritually because God goes silent. Heavens are brass. There is no explanation of anything. Wow. One of our great struggles in a dark valley is we always think, well, we can feel God's abandoned us, but he actually hasn't. I want us to read together Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Are you ready? <clears throat> Let's say it together. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Did you notice it didn't say, I will take the trial away, I'll take your problems away? No, it just says, I'll be with you, and I'll strengthen you, and I'll help you, and I'll bring you through it. God does not leave us or forsake us. Now, remember we've said earlier, sheep are not good in the wilderness. You are not good in the midst of a trial. If you're battling with something today, whether it be small or whether it be huge, can I encourage you? There's a great danger you're going to make big mistakes in the midst of it. You're going to do and say things that you shouldn't. So make sure you stay one close to the shepherd. Make sure you stay close to good, godly advisors around you so you can wisely walk through the valleys of life. You're not good, nor am I in the wilderness. Now, the key word in a trial is endure. Everyone say endure. endure. It doesn't sound awful. Endure, like, oh, wow, that's terrible. James 5.11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Friends, keep walking. Whatever you're going through today, take one step at a time and just keep moving forward. Don't stop. Don't go backwards. Whatever you do, don't try and, take, don't try and think too far ahead. You see, God will give you strength for today. Why? His mercy is in you every... You don't have mercy today for tomorrow. So you try and worry about, God, how am I going to cope over the next two, three months, six months? Friends, you won't cope because you don't have the strength for that. But hey, you can get through today. Oh yeah, you can make it through to the end of the service with a bit of help from God. You can get through this message by the grace of God. One day at a time, one step at a time. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Though I walk through, everyone say through. Yeah, you walk through. It really means you go in and you come out the other side. God doesn't lead you into caves. It leads us into tunnels, and tunnels always have an end, and we come out, and that's the teaching of Psalm 23. Now, for those of you who have got to the top of Mount Everest, or maybe to the top of Mount Ruapai, who will round and climb up the top, once you've got up there, I wonder how many flowers you noticed. I wonder how many lovely trees with apples or peaches were up at the mountaintop. Answer, zero. Why? Because the fruit is found in the valley. The flowers are found in the valley. You want fruit in your life, you get it in the valley experiences of life. If you respond to God as you should. How many of you like apricots? Yeah, they only grow in the cold south. You, I don't think you'll find apricots in Fiji. Or growing in Samoa or Tonga. 
You're going to go to South Island. Why? It needs a cold, harsh winter. Some fruit in your life is not going to develop unless you go into a deep valley. So here's a question. How do you develop long suffering? By a little trial? No, no. You've got to suffer for a long time if you're going to develop long suffering. When I said that in the city church, someone yelled out, how do you develop long suffering? They said, marriage! <laughs> and that was one of the pastors. Yeah. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> So Satan's accusation against Job is this. Job only loved God because of the blessings and what he could get out of it. If he lost them, he had cursed God. But Job's response, watch this, Job 1.20. What does he do? Now, remember the seven trials, massive trials. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and whoosh. Wow. So in the midnight hour, in the darkest moment of Job's life, he rises out and says, I'm off to church to worship my God. I'm not taking one step backwards. I'm going to push into God with everything I got. Friends, worship is one of the great keys to coming through the deep valleys of life. Joseph Scriven was engaged to be married when his fiancée drowned. 17 years later, he's engaged again, and his wife-to-be dies of pneumonia. Two deaths, two fiancées. In the midst of his trial, he writes this poem, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Well, actually, the poem was called Pray Without Ceasing. It was made into that famous hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Worship got him through the valley in good heart, good shape. See, it's not just a matter of getting through the valley, friends. You've got to come through sweet, not bitter. Soft, not hard. Kind, not harsh. And worship is going to help you to get through to the other side in great shape. Romans 8, 28, all things. Everyone say all things. You know, very few people believe that. People, most people think, yeah, most things work together for good. But, or, or all things except mine work together for good. But the Bible's clear, friends. All things, everything... Somehow God has a way of making it work together for good. You know how they have garbage recycling plants in most cities? They take the garbage, recycling comes out as useful fuel. God has the ability to take the garbage of your life, transform it into useful fuel in your life. God is always up to something good. With Job, he was fashioning a man of God who he could use in greater ways. And if we allow God to work in our heart in the valleys, we're going to come out better people. That you should be able to say, after you've been through a valley point, you should be able to look back and say, man, I was like that now, and look at me now. Wow, trophy of God's grace. That's the goal of every trial. Goal is not even just to get through. The goal is to come out a better person. So it's more important to be like, more like Jesus than everything else. We're involved in, in what we do. God's more interested in what we become. We're human doings rather than human beings. So... All right, so let's go back to our question. Why do bad things happen to good people? If you're expecting some brilliant answers this morning, you won't get them, because I'm not that smart. But I'm going to try and give you some thoughts that could help you. James Dobson talks about this young man, Chuck Fry, 17 years old, studying medicine, suddenly dies. I don't know if it was sudden, but he dies. 
Now, Chuck Fry could have been a minister to thousands of poor people, could have shared Christ with so many people on the mission field. His life is cut short. Other medical students finish their studies with far less admirable motives and go out and live a good long life. Chuck Fry's death makes no sense at all. God, why? This fine young man, all he wants to do is love and serve you, and his life is cut short. Theologians can discuss this for the next hundred years, but I'm telling you, they will not come up with answers that are going to satisfy people. Because to some of these things really aren't a good answer. You know, at the same time, you have druggies, alcoholics, murderers, live to a ripe old age and are a burden to society. It's a real challenge to put your head around some of this. Dobson goes on, he says how four of his best friends, all outstanding Christians, died in a plane crash. You know, other people live on and on and on, and, these, and you think, God, why? Outstanding Christians serving you so much to offer society. God, please ex- explain. And what about people who go through the deep valleys of sickness, divorce, rape, infertility, singleness, widowhood? The inevitable question is always this. God, why would you permit this to happen to me? It makes no sense. What I want to share with you now is four biblical truths that are not going to be an answer, but I just hope they may help you to better handle the things that you may be going through or have been through in your life. Some things to consider. Number one is this. God does not always explain himself. You're probably sitting there thinking, thank you very much, Pastor, that explains everything. (laughs) But it's true, he doesn't. And he's not obligated to explain everything. And that's not easy to accept. Romans 11.33 tells us God's ways are past finding out. That's not enough for you. Let's go to Isaiah 55, and it puts it in a, in a different way, but great verses of Scripture that I think we've read many times, but it fits into what we're talking about today. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, as human beings, with our finite minds, we, we don't have the capacity to understand and comprehend the infinite God. For example, why did Jesus, one man, son of God, have to go, go through all the pain and suffering, a crown of thorns, be crucified and die on a cross just for your rotten sins and mine? Who reckons that's a fair deal? It makes no sense. Surely there could have been a better pathway of salvation where Jesus didn't have to suffer. But friends, we'll probably be hard to put our heads around the ways in which God works. And it's going to be true in so many areas of life. It just doesn't make sense. But here's a problem. Many Christians do not realize there'll be times in every person's life when circumstances do not add up. And God does not appear to make sense. If you have not had that experience, get ready, it's coming. I've had that experience. I've been through things. I said, God, this makes no sense at all to me. Please explain. Has he explained? No. Do I continue to trust God? Yes. Do I continue to love God? Yes. 
Do I continue to serve God? Yes. But has he explained? No. Do I understand? No. And sometimes, friends, that's the way. But the difficulty is this. This aspect of the Christian walk is not well advertised. We don't tell people this, mysteries of the kingdom. Which, but we need to explain these things. When that the thing is, you see, it's incorrect to think that we'll always understand what God is doing. Friends, at times we won't. It's also incorrect to think that we will understand how our suffering and disappointment fit into God's plan. So some of us think, yeah, well, I've suffered, I've been disappointed. Oh, but now I understand. God, this is what you're up to. No, friends, sometimes that's not going to happen. He's not going to explain. It's not going to make any sense. That's where we've got to learn to strengthen our faith and continue trusting God. Second thing is guard against a Christianity that thinks, what's in this for me? We've got to get rid of, God, I'll serve you, love you, as long as you bless me. The more you bless me, the more I'll serve you. Friends, that's just not going to work because there are going to be times of great disappointment for everybody. And the problem with this mentality, as soon as something goes wrong and the blessings aren't there, we're tempted to wander away from loving, serving, and following God. What do you think about this? Relationships. It's important that we're in relationships more for what we can put into it and give than what we can take out of it and get. That's great for marriage. It's great for friendships. But it's also great in your relationship with God. I think we need to more start preaching and saying, having the attitude, how can I bless God? Not not how can God bless me. No, no. How can I bless God? You know, there's a scripture to the Samaritan woman where Jesus said, give me to drink. No, he's saying, would you satisfy my thirst? My thirst for relationship? My thirst for, for, for more of you? My, my thirst for a greater love from you? Not, God, bless me. Or, how, God, how are you going to bless me this year? Now, I want you to, 2015, God, how am I going to bless you this year? Thank you for that overwhelming response of excitement. <laughs> Friends, I'm telling you the truth. This will help you. Why? Because the truth sets you free. If you're only in Christianity to bless God, you're never going to get disappointed because you can bless Him to the end of your days. You can bless Him 24-7. No one is going to stop you. But if it's the other way around, well, it could be a whole different story. Okay, thirdly, we need to have right biblical expectations. Think about this. When a Christian goes through a deep valley, they will often struggle more than a non-Christian. Because non-Christians didn't expect God to look after them. They don't even know there's a God. So they don't care. But the Christian, hey, God, what's going on here? The problem is wrong expectations. In Somerset Maugham's classic novel of human bondage, this young man has a club foot, finds Christ. He thinks, wow, I've got the answer. When his club foot is not healed, he says, I'm out of here. I'll not follow God any longer. And some people, friends, have that attitude. Right expectation. How do you get right expectations? Take a bit of time to read the book. Just follow the life of Moses, David, Joseph, Abraham, Job, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ruth, Paul, Peter, Jesus, Matthew, 
Go through it. Check it out. What was Eli's life? You're going to find all the stuff that I'm talking about. They all went through deep valleys. <laughs> Fact is, there will be great blessing in our lives. God will bless us. No question about that. He's just that's the nature of God. But there was also the fact that at times, if we're only in it for our blessing, we're going to get disappointed. Fourthly, we see Job's attitude in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Let's go to a final scripture, Job 42, verse 10. See what happens at the end of Job's life, which is just fantastic because he gets a double portion of, of blessing in his life. Verse 10, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he had prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And all his brothers and his sisters and all who had been his acquaintances before came to make food with him in his house. Verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 male donkeys. If you've been through a valley, get ready to get a whole lot of camels, donkeys, oxen, and sheep. <laughs> Got a double portion of all of those. Do you know when's the most likely time for a sheep to be cast down? just before it's about to give birth to twins. Double portion. If you've been going through it or you're in it right now, get ready for God to give you a double blessing. We come out with twice as much. Let me explain to you what I think the twice as much, areas in which I know you can get twice as much. This may not excite you, but it's truth. Firstly, you can come out with twice as much trust in God. Why? Because your trust goes to a deeper level. You've now been through a deep valley. You've come through it and think, and you realize God was with you. Your trust is increased. You can come out with a double portion of God's grace. You've learned how to find God in the midnight hour. When it got dark like David, you are able to encourage yourself in the Lord. You've got twice as much grace operating in your life. Then you can have twice a double anointing in prayer. How many of you know that you learn to pray in trials? <laughs> That's where you get a double anointing in prayer. And you can come out of your deep valley with twice the ability to pray. And that is fantastic. It's powerful. It's wonderful. Fourthly, you can come out with a double anointing in worship. You learn how to worship God more than you've ever worshipped him before. And fifthly, you come out with a double portion in your relationship with God, or you can come out with a, a double portion. So we come out of our valley with more of God in our lives than we ever had before. More trust, more grace, more prayer, more worship, a deeper, more wonderful relationship with God, than we have ever had before? Would you, church, not agree with me that that is the ultimate goal of life? You come out of the valley with more of Jesus. And he is the greatest prize of all. Amen? Thank you. Musicians, please.